This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Well, if you have your Bibles, you're welcome to open up to Luke chapter 23, verses 34. Um, I read it a little bit before, but it's great to have it there if you've got it. I mean, today we're really going to be, I guess, focused on the lengths of God's loving forgiveness. Now, just as I was, I was reflecting upon the words of Jesus, and this is Luke chapter 23, verses 34, I was reflecting on these words and just thinking, God, this is totally undeserved this is totally undeserved, and that is grace, undeserved kindness, undeserved mercy and forgiveness. And we just see it so vividly here in Luke 23, 34, which reads, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If you know where Jesus was when he said those words, you know very well that this is a low point for God's holy people. Blood money had already been exchanged. Judas Iscariot had already betrayed Jesus with a kiss of all things, to betray Jesus with a kiss. All three Jewish groups rejected Jesus. That was the religious class, the ruler, Herod, the ruling class, and then you had this vicious mob, the people, all together rejecting Jesus. A slanderous trial and calls for his death. He was handed over then to the Roman nation, for execution. And we can't really blame Rome for this type of behavior. If you know anything about the history of Rome, um, the fable goes that there was the young boys, Romulus and Remus, who were raised by a wolf of all things. And like a wolf, Romulus slayed his brother Remus to take hold of the power of Rome. And so their whole nation is founded on one brother snatching the life of another, which probably gives us a memory of a story in Genesis. If after all the evil that has transpired against Jesus isn't enough, as he hung there humiliated and helpless upon the cross, We see from Matthew 27, verses 41 to 44, these are the words of the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders. They mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults 
on him. You know, I don't know if you've, all of us have had this. I was going to say, have you ever had this? We've all had this. Who's gotten to a point in their anger against someone and then it's something, something in your mind as you're, as you're just so upset with this person and then something in your mind goes, whoa, whoa, like you've gone too far. Like maybe your, your raised voice has turned into screaming and pointing or, or maybe you feel like you want to hit this person and you, you put that check or that wall up and say, no, stop, that's enough, you've gone too far. This was not the case for Israel this day. To lambast Jesus the way that they have from start to finish, do all that they've done, even to the point of what I just read there, of mocking him as he helplessly hangs upon that cross. There was no check, no balance in their heart whatsoever. How might you have reacted if you were in Jesus' shoes right now, hanging upon that cross? Nevertheless, these words were recorded coming from his lips, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. What matchless love, what restraint and grace We can argue that right at this moment, the greatest sin that man has ever committed was placing Jesus up upon that cross. Unlike the rest of us who in one way or another are going to die deservedly for our sin, each one of us has that date with death, this is not the case for sinless Jesus. We could only imagine Satan rejoicing at this moment. My enemy, my enemy hangs helpless upon the cross. The old worn and rusted weapon of death is used at great effect even upon the Son of God. This is the power of Satan at work who holds death, who holds onto us as slaves. Could we even think for a moment of God's angels, the angels in heaven who are looking on in horror at what is happening to the Son of God? Why aren't you doing anything, Father? Help your Son. You promised you would save the just and the righteous one from their enemies. God, why not him, your very son dies, and you stand doing nothing. Yet Jesus had already answered this question. We see it in John 10, verse 18, where he says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And also in Matthew 26, 53, do you not think I cannot, 
Uh, Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? What does this mean? It means that Jesus, as an act of His own free will, hung upon that cross because no one had the power to take His life unless He willingly laid it down. Also, we see from Matthew 26, 53, at any moment he could have ended the suffering in order to save himself. And to be quite frank, he would have been justified in doing that. Because he didn't deserve anything that was happening to him at that moment. Make no mistake, Jesus from infancy to this moment had endured every shame, every hardship and horror out of his own free will. Why? Why would he do this? It's actually quite a surprising answer. One maybe you've never thought of before. He endured all of this to give life and power to those words he just uttered. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. A king might receive a warm welcome by his subjects at his kingly ordination. Not so for Jesus, as his life is being given to make subjects for himself. Enduring all of this, not for his good, but for yours. What he's doing right now to give power to those words, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Is, if I could put it in an example, you might understand. It would be like us taking a massive loan out from the bank, buying multiple properties with that money. Now we've got a big debt. We've got to pay all that back, that all the money spent. And then... What's happening here is you would be as if walking back into the bank and say, bank manager, clear my debt back to zero. Actually, no, let's go a step further. Don't clear it to zero. I actually want you to put the same amount in the bank again. We've got to understand this is what grace is. This is the power of forgiveness. It doesn't even put us in a neutral state before God where just the sins are taken away, but it elevates us up into the arms of God himself as though we had done no wrong but been actively obedient. Not only is the debt paid, but you are actively righteous before God. That is the forgiving grace Jesus is asking, even for those who are killing him. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. The Father answers and responds to the Son as the payment of sin, which equals death, is now being laid upon the shoulders of Jesus. The sun in the sky is 
darkened in acknowledgement of the Father's face being turned away from the Son. In our place, God's Son is accursed, stricken by God, that we might be acknowledged and stand in the presence of God. Jesus lifts up his voice in this most darkest of places. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? All the while, we must remember, never lose sight of this. No one takes his life from him, but he lays it down of his own accord. And in blackest night, in the horror of the situation that is taking place before us, even now as we consider these things, a light begins to shine. In the midst of Jesus' torment, in the throes of agony, as if in the answer to that request, Father, forgive them, the mocking thief mentioned in Matthew 27, 44. It says that both of these men were mocking Jesus as they hung on crosses themselves, that one of them comes under heavy conviction of sin. The thief realizes that we have gone too far. He checks himself, I say, by the power of God's Spirit. His eyes become open and his ears finally hear the reality of what's going on here. This Jesus is an innocent man. We deserve what we're getting and he is an innocent man. His words... Back to Jesus, once he makes this acknowledgement, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Can you imagine the faith that this man must have had at that moment? And I say God-imbued faith. He's looking at Jesus, who doesn't have a crown of gold. He wears a crown of thorns. He helplessly hangs, pinned to a wooden crossbeam, whipped, bruised, beards torn. And he confesses, remember me in your actual kingdom. That's faith like I have never seen before or since. And what hope we share That even after all this man had said and done against our Lord, remember moments ago, he is mocking Jesus for being there upon the cross. You know, Jesus is in the place where Barabbas deserved to be. And these thieves, they, I dare say, know that. If If not anything, they were probably working with Barabbas. Who knows? And instead, they're like, he gets set free. Jesus dies at this spot. And they're mocking him. And what does Jesus do once the man acknowledges his sin and confesses, remember me when you come into your kingdom? I can tell you what I would have said to this man. Get lost. You filthy, despicable, evil man, get lost. That's what the natural heart would say to such a man. 
Yet Jesus replies, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. No guilt, no shaming. Immediately, Jesus says, accepted. You're accepted. I fail to comprehend the magnitude of God's love at this moment. Jesus is so willing to forgive all who come to him. He can be mocked, ridiculed to his face, yet at the moment of faith, he will cover all your sin and grant you entrance into his Father's kingdom. How often have we hesitated to forgive when struck on the cheek? But not Jesus. He will meet hatred with love the moment we turn our lives over to him. Eventually, though, the the story sort of goes from a, a ray of hope, a ray of light to utter darkness and hopelessness when eventually the final words depart from our Lord's lips as he cries out, It is finished. At that, the earth begins to shudder and quake as it receives into itself the precious blood of Jesus. And why do I say that the earth receives into itself the precious blood of Jesus? Well, you may remember the first time man killed man, and that was Cain killing his brother, innocent Abel. What did the Lord say? When he challenged Cain, the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. For this evil, Cain was sent away from his family and away from the presence of the Lord. Now the blood of Jesus cries out from the earth to his Father. And we see in Hebrews 12, 24, it reads, To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Whereas the blood of Abel cries out to God for justice and punishment, sending sinners rightfully away from the presence of God, the blood of Jesus declares freedom, forgiveness of sin, drawing up believers into the very arms of God. We may understand Hebrews 12, 24 a little better. That is a better word than the blood of Abel. That's an amazing word. After the earth ceased shaking and the, and the cries of his accusers eased down, we might not think much of the lifeless body of Christ. Hopeless and full of sorrow, his disciples and mother went home, utterly defeated, empty. 
Yet as if declaring from the grave, again the words are fulfilled, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. God isn't finished, even at this moment, to continue to bless. The blood of the Savior could have been on this man's hands at the foot of the cross. Of him, it says in Luke 23, 47, the centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God, surely this was an innocent man, similar to the confession of the thief. He's innocent. Another account records of the same man in Mark 15, 49. And when the centurion stood there in front of Jesus, saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. My question is, how did he know that there is only one God and confess it? That is, that is not right for a Roman centurion to say. He should have said, he is the son of the gods. But he didn't. He uses the word theon, one God. And this is his son. Another question I have is, why did he praise God? Possibly, his confession came because he heard the slurs of those mockers. Remember how I read from Matthew 27? It's verse 43. As they're mocking Jesus, they said, <clears throat> He trusts in God. Let God rescue him if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. This centurion was standing at the foot of that cross. It, this could have been the very man that placed the spear up into his side. We don't know. And he heard them mocking Jesus. Is this centurion saved? Jesus previously taught, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. Forgive me for thinking that I am... I am more than confident that this man is saved. He sounds like he's praising God and giving the good confession. Unlike Cain, this centurion who facilitated the murder of God's son is not cast from the presence of God and his people. But in fulfillment of Jesus' words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. He is brought in to a relationship with the Father whose son he had just had a hand in murdering. Again, I fail to comprehend the love of God. And if this is the scope and love that God has, how willing must He be then to save you? If you but come to Jesus, the lover of your soul, who endured the cross, 
that you might be saved. He didn't question the thief on the cross. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. God didn't spurn the centurion, but those words were put in Scripture for us to know that two men on that day came to an understanding that no one else had, not even the disciples and not not even his mother. They had no idea that he was rising again. Do you receive Jesus today for the forgiveness of your sins? as did this thief and possibly the centurion as well. Make him your Lord. He loves you so much. And a final word to those who already love God and have Jesus as their Lord. Hallelujah! If God can save even those who are hanging on a cross or those who have taken His Son's life... How excited could we be to share our faith? We have so much freedom. We have so many resources that God has given us in order that we can take this message, this good news, this gospel out to the nations. Because look what God did with so little. Like, this is the worst point of Jesus' life. And still, it seems, two men come to faith. How much more us with our freedom and resource can we do to exemplify this sacrifice, to not only receive the grace that God's given us, but expel it out upon others, loving them as Jesus loves us. Let's get out there ourselves. Let's support the church also that we may offer this love of God that God has so freely offered us in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Let's pray. What victory! What love. Father, to behold what your Son has done. Father, I pray that you would take us back to our first love. I pray that we wouldn't lose our standing from this place. That we would know the all-surpassing love that Christ has for us, that we would desire to live for Him and Him alone as our King, our Lord, and our Savior. Lord, may You crush the idols in our lives. May You crush, Lord, any depression or anxiety or any worry that we may have. And Lord, bolster our faith in the Spirit. The lack is never in you, God, never in you. But forgive us, Father, if we have grown cold. Let us again stand in the radiance of your life. May it be better for us than when we were first saved, Lord, that we would just be filled with your presence and your power in love. 
because of what Christ has done for us, laying his life down and rising again for our justification. Our redemption is sealed in his blood. How confident can we be? We love you, God, and we thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen.